shit. Today we're starting our What If series, and I'm excited about this series. This series was birthed in my heart about two months ago in prayer. And I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, sometimes I sit around and I ask myself that question, what if? How many of you guys ever bought a lottery ticket before? It's okay. No lightning's going to strike you. Okay. You purchased a lottery ticket, or maybe you're going to Vegas. God forbid. Okay. You're going to Vegas, and you're going to play blackjack. And you, and you think about that lottery ticket, right, when you buy it, and you, you know, it's like $47 million, you know? And how many of you guys sit around sometimes, and you think, man, what if I won? Am I the only one that's done that? Okay, come on, you've all done that. Some of you don't even take it to the buying the lottery ticket. You just hear about it, you're like, what if I bought a lottery ticket, right? And what if I won? But you lay around sometimes, you think about, man, what if? You know, what would I do with all that? Well, as a pastor, I have those moments quite often. And I think to myself sometimes, what if everybody showed up on the same Sunday, you know? You know, and that's just one family. What if the married couple actually showed up on the same Sunday, right? What if, you know, what if everybody that called Urban Church home showed up? What would that look like? And I sit around and I think about those things. What, what if, you know, everyone came and, man, they worshiped God with everything they had? What would that atmosphere be like? What if, you know? And so I, I sit around and I ask myself those questions sometimes. And so in a moment of prayer one time, I, I, just, I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, you know what, Ben, why don't you put it out there to the church and watch your what if become a what is? And so on, on the 29th of this month, we are having What If Sunday. Okay, now we're having the whole series this month, but on January 29th, we are having What If Sunday. And there are four things we're asking everybody to do here at Urban Church. Number one, real simple, we're asking you to attend. Okay, everybody, if you call this home, maybe you're here checking it out. I'm just asking you to check it out one more time. Okay, January 29th. If you're only going to check it out one more time, don't come next week or the week after. Save it. For January 29th, come, okay? Anyone that's ever come to Urban or been a part of it, we want you to come on that day. And then we want you to invite somebody. Bring somebody. What if everybody invited one person? How many of you guys know one person? Good, all right. So we're moving in the right direction, okay? You know, and you invited that person and you brought them here. What would that look like, right? How many people would we even be able to hold it if every single one of you brought somebody, right? Other thing we're asking is that what if you brought your greatest prayer need, your greatest, your greatest prayer request on that Sunday and you believed that God was gonna answer it on that day? Man, what kind of faith would be in that room? If you brought, you know, maybe it's a miracle you need, maybe it's financial provision, maybe it's a restoration, I don't know, but that greatest need, and you brought it, and you just said, God, I'm believing that on January 29th, you're going to answer that. Man, the faith that would be in that place would be absolutely amazing, right? What if you worshipped on that Sunday with everything you had? Okay, now I know you looked around the room this morning, and you probably saw some people clapping. You saw me up here trying to dance. I don't dance real well. That's why I sit up at the front, ladies and gentlemen, is I can't tell who's laughing at me as I'm up here worshipping, okay? And so I just go for it. What if everybody, man, just worshipped with everything they had? What would that look like? What would that atmosphere be like? That would be absolutely amazing. And, and the other last what if is this, is what if everybody brought their best offering on that day? Man, what could we do to get ready for 2012 and all the great things that God has in store for you, for this community, and for our city? So mark your calendars for January 29th. Do not miss that day. Um, if at all possible, just be here. Bring somebody. It's going to be a fantastic. How many of you guys will do that? Okay. The rest of you? Just leave now. I'm just kidding. Got a great message for you today. What if? Uh, today, as we kick off this series in What If, um, there's actually a lot of what ifs in the Bible. And, uh, and I think about one of those great what ifs, and it's in 2 Chronicles 7.14, and it says this, if my people who are called by my name, and it goes on, it talks about humbling themselves, it talks about if they would pray and turn from their wickedness and seek his face, if they would do those things. Now there's some things that God asks of us in that passage, if my people who are called, would do those things, then, man, what, what takes place is absolutely amazing. Then I would hear from heaven, I would come, I would answer them. 
It doesn't stop there, and I would heal their land. There are so many what-ifs throughout the Bible. Matter of fact, the Bible is all about ifs. If you, if you live according to this right here, your life really is blessed. If. If is a small word with a really big meaning. So much hinges on that, that, that one word. It's a connector word. It's a, it's a word that, that you know, you know it, there's something on this side, and then the if comes in, and it's like, okay, do I want to do it and reap the benefits from it? You know? Now, if isn't always a great thing. A what if isn't always a great thing, though. I mean, like, if, you know, if you're asking somebody to marry you, you know, will you marry me? And they say, I'll marry you if, you know? <laughs> it's probably not a, a good time to use that. Yeah, I'll marry you if you change your name, your hairstyle, you know, whatever, okay? Um, but what if? So much hinges on that, on that if word. Today, we're going to talk about this. What if we face the giants in our life with the right perspective? What if we face the giants that, that we have in our life with the right perspective? You see, all of us have giants in our life, okay? And no, not your pastor. I know I'm tall, but I'm not a giant, okay? All of us have giants in our life. They could be financial giants. They could, you could look at your finances and you could see a, you know, a bill or a, a problem in your finances. That to you could be a giant that you need to overcome. That could be a giant that you need to take out. Maybe it's an emotional giant. Maybe there's something emotional going on in your life and it's been there for a while and you haven't dealt with it and it seems to continue to grow. Maybe it's a relational giant. Maybe it's a giant of crisis. Maybe something happened in your life that you had no control over and a crisis took place. Well, that to you is a giant. We all have giants in our life. And here's one thing I know about giants. Giants aren't good. And I've learned this, that if we can somehow overcome those giants in our life, we can get to the thing that God has for us. We can get to that promise. We can get to the, uh, the, the place that God intends us to be, that, that place of fulfillment. Giants in our life, they work as deterrents. They detour us from getting to the place that God wants us to be. They keep us from getting there. But here's another thing I've learned about giants, that if we don't address the giant, the giant does not go away. You could look at your finances all day long and see that giant in front of you. You could look at that relational giant and see it there. But until you address the giant and take out the giant, the giant ain't going anywhere. Out of sight, out of mind doesn't work for a giant. Okay? You've got to deal with it. You've got to address it. You've got to, you've got to get through that in order to get to the awesome things that God has for you. And I believe that in 2012, with the right perspective, we can take out the giants that are in our life. How many of you guys know right now as you're seeing that you have some giants that you can think about in your life? Whatever it is, emotional, financial, relational, you've got something, okay? Maybe a crisis took place in the last several weeks. Maybe last year, maybe all of 2011 was a tough year because of a crisis. It's been a giant and it's been building, but you need to address that. I believe that with the right perspective, we can take that giant out. There's lots of passages in the Bible that, that might come to mind as you think about giants, but two that come to my mind as I was getting ready for this weekend. The first one is this, and it's found in, in Numbers. And in Numbers, we, we, we see the story of the children of Israel now ready, uh, about ready to go into the promised land. If you want to turn to Numbers 13, 25, we're going to go there. And then another one we're going to go to after that is 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17, Numbers 13 and 1 Samuel 17. So two stories I think of as one, when the children of Israel, the people of God, we could put it this way for today's conversation, the Christians, okay, they're about ready to go in and, and take possession of the promises that God has promised, the promised land that was promised them in Genesis chapter 12. It was promised them in Exodus 3. It was promised them in Exodus 13 that, hey, your inheritance, your promised land, it's the land of Canaan, okay? This was promised years before before they even went into bondage, okay? Now, if you follow the story, you'd have to start in Genesis and read on, but if you follow the story, what has taken place is the people of God, the Christians, 
for today's conversation. They're in bondage in Egypt. Okay? Now a bunch of plagues take place, a bunch of miracles take place to get the, the, the Christians out of bondage. Now they leave Egypt, they're out of bondage, Moses, Moses is leading them out. Where is he leading them to? He's leading them to the promised land. A lot of miracles take place on this journey to confirm that God's behind them, right? And so they're on their journey, man. They make this journey through the wilderness. They finally get to the promised land, and, and they're smart. And so they say, hey, let's send in some spies to spy out the land to figure out how we're going to get in there and take this land out. So they go in, and you know what they discover? They discover that the land is just as God promised them. The land is flowing with milk and honey. Man, the land has grapes the size of watermelons and watermelons the size of houses. Come on, somebody. This is a fruitful land. This is a land that has abundance. This is the land that God has promised them, okay? Do you know that God has promised you something? Now, I know that he's promised to give you life and, and life abundant, and we think about, yeah, I know that God, you know, as long as I'm a Christian, that one day I'll be within, in heaven. But you know this, that you can experience a little bit of heaven right here on earth? That God has a good life planned for you. He knows the thoughts that he has for you, thoughts of good, not of evil, Okay? He wants to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. The righteous have never been forsaken, nor their seed have to beg bread. You're the head, you're not the tail. Okay? That you are somebody in Christ Jesus, and he has great riches and great promises for you right here on earth. Okay? But oftentimes, like, like, like it is with them in, in, in numbers here, that we have to take out some giants in order to get there. So they go in, they spy out the land, they see how amazing it is, just as God promised it. Let's pick it up in verse 25 of Numbers 13. And it says this, at the end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and, and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, we come to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. However, notice. However... The people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell dwell in the land of the Negev and the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Okay, that, that's, that's a, you know, not, not the best, right? Okay, we've got to take some people out. We've got to take some stuff out. But there were some other guys, Caleb and Joshua, and they, they said this, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let's go up at once to occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Woo! Then the men who had gone up with him were not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that God had promised them. And they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone. Maybe you didn't hear me the first time. To spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. That verse cracks me up. You know what the word devours means? It means to eat. Just a minute, we're going to look at the progression of this. Devours its inhabitants and all the people that we saw, not just some, but all the people that we saw were great height. They were giants. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak. These, these are actually the giants who came from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. Now, I want to I just look at the progression of this, or I should say the digression of this for just a moment before we move on to 1 Samuel uh, uh, 17. 
Follow this now. This is the people that God has delivered out of Egypt. There was miracles that took place. Remember the story of the parting of the Red Sea. That's a pretty powerful thing to be a part of. I mean, I get goosebumps when I watch it in the animated version. Are you with me? I'm like, oh, that is so cool. And then when the water crashes down on them, it's just like, yeah. Could you imagine actually be there and see that? I mean, I watch the cartoon and I'm ready like, hey, let's go get some people saved. You know? I mean, could you imagine seeing that with your own eyes? They walked through this. God provides for them in the wilderness. They, they get to their promise. The reason they left, they get to their promised land. God has promised this for hundreds of years that this is going to be your land. Promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this is going to be yours. Okay? And they get there. And sure enough, it's just as God told them it would be. And there are people living there, which God told them there would be. But now, they look at it and they're like, wow, the fruit's amazing, but the people... They're big. This seems insurmountable. This, I don't know. These are these. Okay, but now watch the, now watch the digression of this. Man, there's lots of fruit there, but man, this, the people are large. The cities are fortified and the cities are big. But then it goes on. As a matter of fact, it goes to, matter of fact, all the people are big. No, no, there's, they're giants. Do you understand there are giants? No, you don't get it. They are cannibals and they eat people for snacks. Are you seeing this? It went from, yeah, there's, there's some people that we're going to, there's, there's a lot of big people too. Everyone's big to their giants, to now they're actually cannibals and they'll eat us if we go. Matter of fact, we are grasshoppers. We are nobody. They'll step on us and not even realize it. This digression. Right? What's happened? They are not looking with the right perspective. They are not looking through eyes of faith, but they are looking through natural eyes. Listen to me. The Bible says we walk by faith, not by Because here's why it says that. Because if we were to walk by sight, now we're going to be just like them. And we're not going to overcome our giants. But if we walk by faith, listen, the Bible says this, that um, that, um, the word of God produces faith in our life. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by... But they weren't listening to God's word at that moment. They were listening to their emotions. They were listening to their feelings. And they were being deceived by them. Now that giant is there, now we can't do this. And it's just this digression. I want to propose to you, but that, that same digression works in your life as well. This just isn't a, a story that we can look at and be like, man, those idiots. Because of that, they had to wander around the wilderness for 40 years before they could go back in. Dummies. It's here for our admission. It's here for us to, to look at and say, you know what, how can I learn from that and grow from that? Now, we might not be taking out natural giants, but there are giant circumstances in our life that we could pull some things here from and say, you know what, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like someone that looks, I don't know about you, but in 2012, I don't want the giants in my life to depict the outcome. I want the word of God in my life to depict the outcome. I want to believe what the Bible says and not what my circumstances say. But they were putting more hope and trust in their circumstance than they were in the word of God. And because of that, now they're afraid. Okay? How, do, how does that play out for us? I don't know what your giant is. Is it financial? I don't know what your giant is. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's a crisis. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's relational. Maybe you're married and there's relational conflict. Has anybody ever had that before in a marriage? Yeah? It's one of the great parts about marriage. Okay? You learn that your wife's always right. <laughs> okay? There's, sure, there's relational stuff that happens in marriage, but here's, here's the digression that happens. You might have a discussion 
right? And you have a discussion, and in the discussion, maybe someone says something. Oh my gosh, I can't believe she said that to me. I, I, I can't believe she used those words. I, 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 I don't even know if she loves me. Matter of fact, she always says those things about me. You ever heard that in your marriage before? Why do you do that all the time? <laughs> if you have to stop and think about that for a moment, okay, you don't do it all the time, you know. But how often we throw those words out? That's the digression. Matter of fact, she, she talks to me like that all the matter of fact, I think it's gotten worse. We've been married for 14 years, and you know, I haven't, no. I don't even know that she loves me. We, do we even have anything in common? I mean, I don't even think we should have got married. I mean, she eats men. She's a man-eater. Can you hear the song in the background? Right? And this is the digression. Why? Because rather than looking at the great wife you've been given, are you with me? Okay? Are there going to be some giants in your marriage sometimes? Yes, absolutely. But last time I checked, come on, two are greater than one. And if one falls down, the other one can help them up. Two work together, man, they can overcome some serious giants. Overcome some serious giants. Now, now, now listen to me, okay? The children of Israel had to take out the giants. I'm not asking you to take out your wife, unless it's on a date, all right? Okay? So don't go home and say, baby, look. <laughs> okay? But you've got to sit down. You've got to have a conversation. You've got to talk with one another. Listen to me. Things don't get better on their own. Chaos left alone becomes more chaos. I know, I see my children's room, <laughs> okay? It doesn't get better without divine intervention, okay? Man, you got to sit down, you got to talk some things out, you got to invite God in, and sometimes you got to invite some outside help in, and, and that's okay. They did not overcome because they had the wrong perspective. Their perspective was that, man, we can't do this. And you know what? They were right. They couldn't do it. But God never wanted them to do it. God wanted them to step out in faith and obedience, and he would have worked through them to overcome the giants. See, that's what we need to understand. Giants are not there in our lives so that we can overcome them. Giants are there in our lives sometimes as tests that, that we would walk forward in faith and obedience and believe God enough that if God is for us, who can be against us? That he will overcome those giant circumstances in our life, come on, as we step out in faith. See, there's a part that we have to do. There's a part that he does, okay? Human responsibility, divine sovereignty. They had the wrong perspective and because of a wrong perspective, because of a bad report. Because of a bad report, it kept nearly three million people out of the promised land because of the negative bad report of 10 people. Think about that for a minute. How oftentimes, if we don't overcome our giants, it affects others, Right? It affects others. Why? Because we're, we're a family. We're the body of Christ. If we don't take out the giants in our life, they have the wrong perspective. Let's go to another story real quickly now. And, and let's, let's, let's look at this story of uh, another popular one uh, that would come to mind of David and Goliath. David and Goliath. Taking out giants. You can take it out with the right, the right perspective. David and Goliath. I love the story of David and Goliath, and it's, it's probably a popular one that a lot of you might know. And in the story of David and Goliath, the Philistines have now come up against the people of Israel once again. Okay? So here's the enemy. Who are they going against? The Christians. God's people. Interesting to know that Goliath now is actually a descendant from Anak, who they faced in the previous passage we just read. So here they are now, and they've got to face some more giants. Okay? 
And they got to take these giants out. Here's what's happening now. They're at this valley. Man, all the Israelites are on one side. The Philistines are on this side. And, and daily now, for, for a period of, of, of weeks and, and you know, just time going on, this giant would come out and would just taunt the people of God. Just taunt them. That's what giants do. They're deterrents. They distract. They try to take you away from getting to where God wants you to go. And he would come down and, and he would taunt the people. Okay? David is actually not on the battlefield. David's at home with his father, Jesse, and the rest of his brothers, though, are at the battlefield. So Jesse approaches David and said, hey, I want you to take some cheese. Come on, somebody. I love cheese. I want you to take some cheese. I want you to take some goods. I want you to bring it to your, to your brothers and find out how they're doing and bring word back to me. So David makes his journey, and he gets there now, and he's checking out what's going on. And as he's there, he, he, he hears this giant come out and start taunting God's people. And David's like, whoa, wait a second, what's going on here? And he begins to ask some questions. Go, what's going on with, with, this, with this giant guy? Why, why are we not doing anything about it? I want to pick it up in 1 Samuel 17, verse 31. It says, when the words of David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. What words were those? David's like, look, man, this guy can't do that. I, I, I'll deal with this, okay? So these words get back to him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, the giant. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear to, and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. That's awesome. That's what we should do for the man's event on the 21st. I mean, come on, how many men are out there like, hey, we're going to have a man's event? Like, yeah, and we're playing softball. Oh. I mean, chop some wood, mow a lawn. Come on, somebody. Take a bear out, kill a lion. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defiled. The armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Wow. In other words, giants come in all shapes and sizes. Come on, somebody. But the outcome is going to be the same. And Saul said to David, Go. And the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped on his sword over his armor and uh, tried in vain to go, for um, he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. Now, a lot of people, they say, well, the reason he chose five was because there were four, he had four brothers. I don't know if that's true. Some people say he took five because that's the number of grace and his grace is sufficient. Well, yeah, okay, that's true. I think he took five because if the first one didn't work, he had four more. Come on, somebody. <laughs> it's my theory. Now, listen to this. He took his, 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 his sling and his shepherd's pouch his sling one is in his hand, and listen to this, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bare in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome, kind of like me, 
in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear. Look at the perspective. And with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's. Come on somebody. And he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to, uh, to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line. To meet the Philistine. And David put his hand on his bag and took out a uh, stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his head and he fell on his face to the ground. David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Wow. Look at David's perspective. The battle's not mine, it's the Lord's. It's the Lord that's going to prevail. Rather than seeing the digression of the people of Israel in the previous chapter, let's look at the progression here that David uses to overcome. David had the right perspective. He realized who his enemy was. He realized that his enemy was nothing more than an uncircumcised Philistine. And we'll understand that word uncircumcised more in our next series coming up as we look at covenants. This Philistine did not belong to the promises of God. Who is this guy coming at us? We belong to the Lord. I love what he says. I've taken out bears and lions, and this guy, he's no different. He's just like them. Just like I took out a bear and a lion, I'm going to take this guy out. I don't know about you. Actually, a bear and a lion seems a little more intimidating. Right? Sharp teeth and stuff. Vicious. Outcome's going to be the same. We win. Listen to what he did here. He remained true to God created him to be. Listen to me, when you're facing a giant in your life, God's not going to ask you to overcome it with something you don't have. He's going to ask you to overcome it with what you do have. They tried to put Saul's armor on him. Here's a spear, here's a sword, he'd go out there. Didn't work. I love it. It says he put those things off. He picked up his little shepherd's staff, picked up his little slingshot, things vicious, and those rocks, Okay? I mean, God's not going to ask for what you don't have. He's going to ask for what you have to overcome. He used what he had and what he knew. David knew the battle was the Lord's and not his own. Listen to me. If you get nothing else out of what I'm telling you today, understand this, please. The battle that you're facing, he's already won for you. The battle that you're facing, it's not yours. You don't have to put that burden on you. You don't have to come under that. No, all you have to do is realize, you know what? This is his battle. This is God's, but invite him into the equation. Keep the right perspective. David had the right perspective. The children of Israel had the wrong perspective. We're not going to be able to, you're right, you're not. David had the right perspective. This is not my battle. This is, this is his. This is, let, me, let me end on this. Let me just give you a few things here real quick. Something you can take away this morning. Don't look at your problem, your giant, too long. If you do, it might eat you up. 
Don't look at your giant too long. David was fresh on the battle scene. Everyone else, for like 40 days, here's the giant coming out and taunting and taunting and taunting and taunting. They heard and they heard and they heard. Here's what happens. If you don't address the giants in your life, not only will you not get to the promises that God has for you, that giant will seem to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And pretty soon you're like, what do I do with this thing? You feed giants with your fear. Don't look at your giants too long. They might eat you up. What did David do? David grabbed his stuff and it says he approached the giant. And then it says this. It says that David ran towards the battle line. We've got to be willing to run and face the giants in our life. What giants are facing you today? It's a financial giant. Man, you've got to sit down, listen to me, and you better come up with a game plan. Okay, yes, we live by faith. Absolutely. Be a good tither, okay? But don't just tithe and spend your money frivolously. That's not wise. It's stupid. If you can't afford it, don't buy it. Put it on layaway. (laughs) Maybe one of the layaway angels will come along, right? You put it on layaway. God, please send one of those angels right now. I did my part, God. I put it on layaway. Be wise. Have a budget. Live within your means. And then watch and see what God, you got to have a plan. David had a plan. I'm taking five stones. Because you know what? If first I want to get, get him, I, I got another one and another one. You've got to have a plan. What is it? Is it your marriage? Is it your children? I have a plan for my children. Because if not, my children, <laughs> they can be giants sometimes. Okay? You have a plan. Have the game plan. Go for it. You've got to run after the giants. You've got to address them. You've got to approach them. You've got to know who you are in Christ Jesus. David knew who he was, and he knew who his enemy was. You've got to know that the battle is his. Know that the battle is his. Whatever battle you're facing today, man, don't try to do it on your own strength. It's his battle. It's his battle. Use what he has given you. Don't look at what you don't have. Use what he's given you. Don't look at what you do not have. Sometimes I think that when we go into a circumstance or situation, listen, get wisdom, glean from others, absolutely, but don't look at others and say, man, if I had that, then I could overcome this. Man, if I had a million dollars, I could pay off my debt, duh. (laughs) Hopefully you'd be able to, right? You don't have a million dollars, so what can you do? Well, if I was married to that person, you know, my marriage would be so much better. No, it wouldn't, because they would see all your flaws, and you'd realize you're the problem and not the other person. <laughs> okay. Whatever it is. And you've got to, got to use what you have to begin to take out these giants. Bring everything you have. Bring everything you have. Listen to me. If you're just facing a problem or a circumstance, you know, and it's, it's little, it's manageable, look, deal with it. But when you're coming at a giant I don't know what he was planning on doing with that staff, but he brought his staff. I'm going to club him over the head until he cries uncle, you know. (laughs) Say it. He took everything he had. When you're going to face a giant, listen to me. Don't just say a little quick goodnight prayer. Bring everything you have. Call, call, Call somebody else up for some prayer. Get to church. Go to church even though it's not open. (laughs) Do something, you know. Bring everything you have 
because you're going to need it to take out the giant. But listen to me. Listen to me. What that is, that's a faith perspective. God, here's what you've given me. I'm going to take all the resources you've given me because God likes wise stewards. And I'm going to deploy all of these, God. At the end of the day, though, I realize it's, it's, it's not my battle. It's your battle. But I still have a part. What's that part? It's called faith. What would happen this year? What if we together faced all the giants in our life with the right perspective? What giant are you facing? How are you facing it? And do you have a faith perspective? Because I believe that in 2012, come on, things aren't going to get worse. They're going to get better. I believe that in 2012, the giant that you didn't overcome last year, you're going to overcome this year. I believe that in 2012, with the right perspective, come on, faith and obedience, you're going to see your giant fall, and you're going to get to your promised land. You're going to prevail. You're going to win. You're going to see the promises of God released in your life. God, we thank you so much, though, for your work. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that giants, although they may be intimidating, once we take them out, God, we get to the promises. Lord, I thank you for your word today. Lord, I thank you for things we could glean from your word. Lord, I thank you if nothing else is gleaned, that faith has come alive, Lord, in somebody here today. And as that faith has come alive, God, they are believing that they're going to be overcome, that circumstantial giant in their life. God, I thank you for it.